This is the Humerian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts for the well-being of yours. This is Dr. Sean Benzinger with Humerian Health Podcast with Amy Baker. And today we're here with a special guest, uh, author of What You Must Know About Women's Hormones. And Amy, you're a woman, so you have hormones. <laughs> I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. And they're changing, actually, which is why I'm very excited to hear from Dr. Smith today. So thank you, Dr. Smith, for joining us. Yes. Yes. This book um, is, in my estimation, because the confusion with hormones, uh, synthetic hormones, organic hormones, the timing of hormones, and all the other factors are such severe uh, problems of, of understanding and clarity in our organizations and in our medical field. So frankly, let's talk about some of the common, most common problems females deal with. And maybe you can kind of associate this with younger life comparison to older, older life and some of the conversions there. Well, it's really very interesting. People always think that hormone replacement cannot be done safely. And that's not what the science is showing. The science is showing that you can very safely replace hormones as long as you use natural hormones, which mean the same chemical structure that the patient is born with. People usually think natural means it comes from a plant. Right. In this case, it does come from a plant, soy or yams. But really, the medical definition of natural is the same chemical structure that God gave you initially. And that's really the key component to replacing hormones. Okay. And right now, what is being instituted medically across all age groups for females is what? They just think that even if it isn't exactly the same thing, it still should work? Well, exactly. They don't understand the difference between natural and synthetic. And the other thing that's very fascinating is that women, by and large, do not understand how their body works. They do not realize that estrogen has 400 functions in the body. So it's taste, touch, smell, hearing, skin tone. It lowers cholesterol, blood sugar, blood pressure helps prevent cataracts, macular degeneration, and many other things. So it really is 400 functions. That's amazing. And and no wonder when the hormones are in disarray, um, what what occurs from it. So let's let's go back just a little bit about changes that are occurring very early in life. Because one thing that we have noted, and then I'd like to elaborate on how they look at it European-wise in comparison to here doing radio for 21 years and getting to interview some really profoundly brilliant docs over in Europe. They they look at the whole hormone thing a little bit more like you do by far uh, in most cases, not in all, but most cases. And it's just interesting that we are in the United States, such a stoic, stuck-in-the-mud situation. And it's it's kind of frightening to see. But um, if we're talking about early age uh, ladies, we're we're starting to see younger uh, women having periods younger. We're starting to see this massive push of of the pill at a very, very early age onto these girls. What are some of the concerns that you have and why do you think it's happening earlier? Well, a lot of researchers believe that women are starting their cycles earlier by and large, because of environmental estrogens. 
um, there are what we call endocrine disruptors, meaning that different kinds of environmental products actually affect hormonal function. And one of those, for example, is plastics, dioxins, TCBs. Mm -hmm. They actually are endocrine disruptors. Uh, the other function is something we usually don't think about. When people take the hormones, whether they're oral contraceptives, natural or synthetic hormone replacement, what happens is they urinate out those hormones into the toilet. Mm -hmm. And then if you're in a city, it goes right back into the water system. And so people oh. are getting more hormones than they realize. And, and that then opens up this whole different issue because... I actually um, had the uh, honor of getting to um, uh, treat a young lady that uh, used to work the federal government, and this is like 25 years ago, so I can say this now, <clears throat> but her job was that she would evaluate uh, uh, il uh, illnesses around um, electric lines, and they found that, mm -hmm. hey, cancer rates were higher around electric lines and those that were next to electric lines in, in a variety of different types of cancers. But I was talking to her about it, and she says, oh, my gosh, didn't you see the water book? I said, well, what, what do you mean water book? And she says, oh, they did this whole study of all the water systems across the United States. Well, not all, but most of them. And she said, it's just stunning that at Lake Mead uh, 30 years ago that um, they had a problem with frogs. I said, okay, frogs. He said, they didn't have any male frogs anymore because the heavy amount of estrogens that were in the water from runoff in Lake Mead was so high that the animals started converting that they were all female. So this is supported by you, and then the book uh, elaborates that our water systems are still in following guidelines of 1950s, 60s, and they don't have any updated information, nor have they updated their systems to withdraw or get rid of these hormones, so thus it is coming down the water stream. Hmm. Interesting. Isn't that scary? Yeah. And that, and that just kind of supports exactly what you're saying, because how many women are some form of, I mean, how many young women are on the pill alone, nonetheless anything else? Mm -hmm. So frightening. Well, now, the, the pill is a synthetic, right? The pill for make sure you don't get pregnant. That's usually synthetic, correct? It is. And obviously, people do need a form of birth control mm -hmm. if that's in their personal choice. But when you look at the idea, for example, of using oral contraceptives for acne, there are so many other ways you can treat acne. Right. Commonly, acne in a teenager is related to high testosterone. Instead of giving an oral contraceptive to lower testosterone, you can have the individual take the herb saw palmetto. Saw mm. palmetto at 240 to 260 milligrams twice a day will lower testosterone and more most women and really helps with the issue of acne. So just eating less sugar, and so does mm. helping the gastrointestinal tract, meaning the gut, be healthy. So if you do all those kind of things, most people don't need oral contraceptives for acne, which is the number one reason 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds get started on oral contraceptives. Absolutely. Or, or the excuse of periods are too painful. So the doc says, oh, you're 14 years old. Let's just start you on that. Hey, may I ask, I mean, having a 19-year-old now going to be a 20-year-old thinking she's a 40-year-old, um, um, female, there was, there was even pressure with herself from her other friends of, oh, I went on it because I had a bad period and they put me on it. 
it's amazing how quickly um, this age group is moving towards it, and they actually think that's just a natural, normal thing you do. You start having periods. If you get cramping, you go get the pill, and you stay on it, and that's through every level um, of group in the United States. And to me, that's got to be frightening somewhere down the line, isn't it? Well, the idea is how else can you affect it? You certainly... If you actually look at why most women get menstrual cramps, it has to do with something called the prostaglandin 2 pathway, which is inflammatory. And that's the reason why people take things like Motrin and other non-steroidals, which do help with menstrual cramps, Anaprox, those kind of medications. You can use fish oil, omega-3 fatty acids. It does the same thing. It works on that same pathway. So most of the patients in our practice, and certainly from an anti-aging functional medicine approach, we usually have patients take 2,000 milligrams a day of pharmaceutical-grade fish oil, Mm -hmm. and that helps with menstrual cramping. Amazing. Because really, it wasn't the most common, you know, Advil, whatever they give them. That's that's the most common thing. Because I remember a long time ago, Dr. Dean had come on the air and she said, just get their diet cleaned up. Um, all of a sudden, if they stop eating enriched white flours and sugars and all that stuff, they don't inflame. And when they don't inflame, their cramping is not so bad. So like, wow, we did that and the girls got better. And that was the nice thing. But it's almost as though there's this pushback of, I don't really want to take care of myself that way. I just want to take a pill and eat what I want and live like I want to. And that seems to be the pattern. And uh, the psyche of that is pretty driven in our society. Everybody likes a quick I mean, who doesn't? It'd be great if you could just lose weight by having a magic wand, but that's not how it works. Do you have one? Do you you have uh, just one uh, one wand? I wish I did. did. If you do, I mean, I'll pay. I'll pay big. (laughs) (laughs) Most things worth having in life take some effort to do. The thing that amazes me is the personal responsibility component of healthcare. People do have to take some personal responsibility for their own health. And when they do, they feel better. And believe it or not, it costs them a whole lot less for what they pay in health care when they take some personal responsibility. Agreed. Agreed. So let's move on to some of the other topic matters because we're really trying to deal with hormones in females, Okay. Um, and let's just talk about natural estrogens. You, you, you talk about the difference between the body's natural estrogens. Break those down a little bit for us. Well, the body makes three estrogens, E1 estrone, E2 estradiol, and E3 estriol. You can call them E1, E2, and E3. When you look at those hormones, they have to balance. It really is a hormonal symphony in the body. So when women go through menopause, and if they need estrogen, and not all of them do, but if they need estrogen, we don't replace the E1 estrogen. That's the one that most researchers believe is linked to an increase in breast cancer. We replace the E2 estrogen, the estradiol, which is the 400 functions, and we also replace estriol, because that one is the one that science shows helps prevent breast cancer is what the researchers are finding. So when we give natural hormones, they are prescription, 
they're a combination of E2 and E3, and we always put it on the skin. That's called transdermal. And the reason for that is oral estrogens can drive up inflammatory markers like C-reactive protein. They can lower growth hormones, the hormone that keeps you young. It's hard on the liver, the gallbladder, et cetera. So we really suggest that hormone replacement not be orally done, but put on the skin and patients put on an area of fat. And no matter what she weighs, there are some fat cells in the thigh area and the buttocks. And so that's where we usually suggest people apply their estrogen. So when you talk about hormone replacement therapy and the patches that you can use, are you and I'm completely coming from a space of not knowing, but approaching, I think, perimenopause. That's probably more information than our listeners need to have. But So I'm super curious about this topic. But um, are you talking about replacing with other natural estrogens, or is it synthetic or a combination? How does that work exactly? Great question. Always natural. And to do the E2 and E3 as one cream, it does have to be compounded. So it would be made by a compounding pharmacy. Could you do an estradiol patch? You absolutely can. That is still natural. You can put the patch on, but that's only E2. If you're going to use the estradiol patch, then we recommend that we have compounded the E3 estrogen to go along with the patch as a cream. Gotcha. So it creates a balance, Mm -hmm. right? It creates balance. It's all about balance. Okay. Okay. And all of that, I'm assuming, is under the direction of whoever your family practitioner is or are there specialty doctors that our listeners should be considering adding to their sort of overall healthcare team? How, you know, how do you go about having this conversation, I guess? Well, number one, you do want to see someone for hormone replacement that is fellowship trained in natural hormonal therapy. And it's very important. Uh, The American Academy of Anti-Aging Physicians has partnered with several universities in a program that is a fellowship in anti-aging and functional medicine. And part of that fellowship is hormone replacement. Very important to have someone who is fellowship trained because better to take no hormones than to have the wrong hormones or wrong application. And the references to a lot of this in my book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones. Okay. What you must know about women's hormones is available anywhere, online, or in stores. Okay. And people always say, well, are there really references to all of this? There are. There's, there's thousands of references. Okay, so um, the problem that I hear over and over is simply finding a physician that works with natural hormones because frequently, unfortunately, when we're in Indiana and we're a little archaic still, um, they just look at them and say, we, I, I, we don't do those. But they, they don't make any difference. Um, and it, it sounds like, based on your book and everything, that it looks like the evidence is overwhelmingly um, leaning towards a natural hormone replacement. Am I, am I correct in, in saying that? Absolutely. And my oldest daughter does live in Indianapolis, And so I actually have a daughter that lives in Indiana. And there are fellowship-trained practitioners everywhere. In fact, I have five daughters. So when I wrote my book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones, 
I really wanted to name it Raising Teenage Daughters While Mother Goes to Menopause. <laughs> Very interesting. I think that would have sold about six million books overnight. Absolutely. That is great. That's perfect. Oh. oh, that's great. So, well, that's good to hear uh, and it, it, because it is a bit discouraging sometimes um, as someone that is, is a chiropractor, then someone asks and I send them somewhere and, uh, well, they're not doing that anymore. Then I got to find somebody else. And it's like this moving train in Indianapolis. It's a bit difficult to be honest with you. And the only problem is when you get the one that's stoic and hasn't really updated themselves, hasn't really read the other research, hasn't, is a, it frankly is not a female, many cases, um, um, and and really doesn't realize the abrupt and aggressive effect in these these situations. So I want to ask you one other thing before we go on to the other questions, and that is uh, pellets. That seem to be the popular thing right now because, gee, they're easy. You don't have to put creams on. You have to put a patch on. They just pop them in there every three to six months, whatever they do. And it, now, are those synthetic? Well, pellets are usually not synthetic. Okay. Um, there's pros and cons to pellets, okay. of course. There's pros and cons to everything. Um, the cons to pellet therapy is if you don't get the dose correct, then the patient does have that same dosage for three months. Usually you can't find the pellet to take it out. The other thing is cost. Mm-hmm. And if you have a pellet, you want to make sure that it's 100% sterile. 100% sterile with outside verification by another lab. Gotcha. And so the 100% sterile ones certainly are much more uh, expensive. Uh, sometimes they may run a grand a pellet. And oh so, my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's much more expensive than $1.25 a day as a cream. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> I think we're both stunned. At, I know. At, I have no words for that. It's like, oh, oh I, I don't need a pellet. Yeah. Okay. I, was, I was thinking about that's like a house payment. or I, But yeah. <laughs> wow. So let's just talk about imbalances of hormones and kind of, you talked about a, really a, a long list of things that are effect, can be affected in, in a woman. Um, and let's talk about um, menopausal or hysterectomy folks. I, I used to be, um, I would send people to um, um, a site, uh, Hysterectomy Education Research Society, when they'd say, well, it looks like they're going to have to remove my insides. And I said, well, have you tried all kinds of, and then they usually haven't. They, they just, you know, they've tried ablation, they tried a few things, it didn't work. So all of a sudden they're going to just take out their inners. And in Indiana, I think we're like number one or two in the country in part of our treatment protocol seems to be that women don't need their insides. It's just insane. And, uh, and it, it, I've talked against it for 36 years. So natural hormone replacement needs to be started in those cases right away. Isn't that correct? If the ovaries well, the are removed. Is, it really is all about balance. And usually when women need a hysterectomy, it's because they have excessive bleeding that cannot be controlled. And that's because of an imbalance. They still have lots of estrogen, but not enough progesterone for balance. And progesterone's wonderful. Uh, Women without enough progesterone can have anxiety, irritability, insomnia, mood swings, depression, heart racing, bladder problems, gut disturbances. And there's a myriad of things. And it really does have to balance estrogen 
progesterone does, or there is an increase in breast cancer. And women can have low progesterone at any age. They can have low progesterone as part of PMS, uh, perimenopause, menopause, postpartum depression, uh, polycystic ovarian disease, otherwise known as PCOS. Those all tend to be a low progesterone state. Okay. And honestly, that's just so common. But hormones can be off because of other influencers, too, correct? It isn't just that it's genetic, you can't do anything about it. What are some of the primary things if someone comes in and you measure them, their hormones are off? Do we always go to uh, natural hormone replacement? Or do you work on other aspects of their health first to see if you can balance them? Well, we always look at the science. So, for example, we didn't mention testosterone yet, but women need testosterone. It's very important to be the perfect amount. And the reason for that is that it's our strength of bone and sense of well-being. Uh, true story of one of my patients, we always tell men to apply their testosterone on the inner thigh or top of foot. And one of my patients put his on his chest. And his wife oh, no. laid on his uh, Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. She came back with really high testosterone levels. So I just said, well, how are you feeling? And she was so cute. She said, wow, is this how men feel every day? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because it was her sense of well-being. Sure. That's amazing. So, you know, it's a balance. And people don't realize that sometimes, People just need to eat better. Yeah, One of my absolutely. patients came in with low testosterone, and she was only 22 years of age. And so I said, well, what do you eat for breakfast? Potato chips. Ooh. What do you eat for lunch? Potato chips. <laughs> what do you eat for dinner? Potato chips. And so I said, well, what do you snack on? She said, potato chips. Potato chips, <laughs> yeah. That Saw that coming. <laughs> basically... We just took her shopping. We put her on a multivitamin. And in six months, she didn't need testosterone. She just lacked zinc. You have to have zinc to make testosterone. So sometimes it's not the golden prescription. It really is looking at other things. And to further answer your question, part of that hormonal symphony is the hormone called cortisol. And if people are really, really stressed and their hormone cortisol goes up and stays up, or it goes flatline because they've been stressed long-term, sure. then that tends to make all the other hormones really out of balance. And so sometimes we just have to help them with stress. Okay, so <clears throat> I have a short story. Oh, boy. Yeah, poor Amy. She's got to live through all my short stories. You as do, long as it's not about me, yeah, we're good. And, and this is about Amy um, and having to work with her every day and awesome. how that affects my stress. That's no. right. Um, um, uh, but... Um, when it, when you deal with chronic stress and the adrenals do uh, become a problem, I, I can't tell you how many uh, women, uh, it, once the adrenals are supported in some way, for whatever reason, the, the female hormones um, seem to get better. But as you are familiar, women around between 45 and 60 that were getting uh, hormone replacement, synthetic hormone replacement. Of course, the research has shown for a long time, finally, they finally pointed out that, hey, this is really causing specific disease processes, and, and it was distributed everywhere, and all of a sudden, overnight, 
Their doctors just didn't write the scripts anymore. They just stopped. And, you, and, and, I, and you've lived through this. I, I would hate to send you, see in your office during that time because all of a sudden I started getting call after call after call after call for about three or four or five or six months. It took about eight months to kind of clear up the backlog. But the bottom line is their docs just stopped. And the only thing I could do is try to support the general well-being of the person. And about 70% got better again without um, hormone replacement. And about 30%, there's just nothing else you could do. And they really had to. And then finally we found um, you know, compounding pharmacy and a few other docs that took, took them on and got them back on some natural hormones. And they did a lot better than they did with the synthetic. But it was amazing. It was like this nationwide sweep of misery and awful and depression and anxiety. I'd never went through that before. Did, did I don't remember. Was that like three, four, five years ago? Do you remember? I do. It was about four or five years ago. Oh, totally agree with you. It was amazing. So I'd hated to see your office be like, yeah, I got an appointment in like six years uh, <laughs> to get in. But that was horrendous um, to see. But do you think that most women uh, about 50, 60 should be on natural hormones? Is that your general opinion? Most women are low, uh, certainly by the time they're 60 years of age. And people always ask, does everybody need hormone replacement? Honestly, they don't. I have three women in my practice that are in their 80s that are not on hormones. They see me for other reasons. They've been very lucky. They've not had a lot of stress in their life, and they've maintained their hormonal function. One thing that's important to note, though, is when to start a patient on hormones. It's rare that we put a woman on estrogen before menopause, but the studies are very clear on heart and brain protection better heart and memory if the patient starts estrogen when she loses it than later on. If someone came into my practice and she were 90 and had never been on hormones with a candidate for them, would I put her on hormones? I would. But she will not get the same brain and heart protection that she would get if she had started the estrogen at an earlier time when she first lost it. Mm-hmm. So when the woman is moving on hormone production to that down slope, you're trying to catch it at a certain point before it hits rock bottom, uh, quote unquote, and then move them back up to a natural and you find that there's less overall damage or dysfunction that can't be repaired. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. And we're trying to get her pregnant. So it's not about a massive dose of hormones. Right. Women make a very small amount of the estradiol, the 400 functions, she only makes, on average, when she's younger, 365 micrograms wow. a day. That's small. Okay. So it doesn't take a lot of hormone mm-hmm. to really return function and prevent disease. Okay. Now, you you know, you talked about skin, putting it in through the skin. Why definitely the skin? I've heard of oral, what they call trochees or whatever, um, and there are other forms, but you, I, I heard you very specifically, you go to skin. Why? Well, because... For one thing, growth hormone will go down, the hormone that keeps you young. And a trochee does, it is a good way to get hormones into the body. Unfortunately for estrogen, people swallow um, the trochee. Not the trochee itself, but they swallow the saliva. So the actual hormone does get into the body orally with the trochee. So most practitioners who are trained in this field myself included, do not recommend trochees for estrogen or testosterone. Kind of hard on the body, 
much more natural to put it on the skin, kind of how the body works. Okay, okay I have to jump in with the, <laughs> as the non-medical professional here. A trochee is a what? <laughs> That's a great question. That is. Uh, tro- <laughs> it is. Uh, trochee basically is like a lozenge oh. that people suck on, and that's how they would get uh, anything into their body. Sometimes B12, for example, is also given as a trochee. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Perfect. Thank you. <laughs> that's helpful. So I'm at, I'm curious too, kind of to go back a little bit to um, I think Dr. Benzinger mentioned just genetics and the role it plays. And so I mean, obviously, I, I've talked to my mom about a little bit about her experience going through menopause and perimenopause and that sort of thing. And I mean, I'll be honest. There's part of me that's like I hope that there's nothing genetic related to how my body changes, given what she went through. And I guess I'm curious with what you've been talking about relative to, you know, making sure you have a healthy diet and that you're managing your stress and kind of other factors outside of your genetics that you have maybe a little more control over. Can you change the course of how your aging might happen from a hormonal perspective? Or does genetics just it just plays a big role and you probably should just strap in because you're probably going to look a lot like your mom did or your grandmother did in terms of their, their aging process. Well, for one thing, people have to realize that in 1900, women, their average age that they lived to was 53. So many of them never reached menopause. Some people say, well, my great-grandmother didn't take hormones. Well, they never got to that age. Mm-hmm. And people are living longer. And really, it's about vision, memory, and mobility. So what do we need to do to maintain vision, memory, and mobility? And one of those things is to be hormonally balanced. Um, I will tell you, because I've been menopausal for a while now, I'll be 64 in July, that that really, 60 is the beginning of middle age. If you're nutritionally sound and you exercise and you sleep well and you're hormonally balanced, You know, 64 is really very young, but hormones do play a major role in that. I can also tell you that I feel fabulous every day, and the reason I do is because my hormones are balanced. It's different than younger women who have a 28-day situation going on, and they may have some PMS or PCOS, and, and things are not always balanced. Menopausally, they are balanced. If you're seeing a practitioner who's good at giving hormones, so really, I, I feel great every day, and all patients should. Okay, Dr. Smith, uh, let's go just a little bit further into um, uh, an experience of the patient, the the female in this case, and let's say that they are 54, 55, starting to get the midriff um, fatigue, uh, other factors, and they go into a a specialist that is uh, fellowship trained. Tell me what they should expect. Uh, There's always the, should they get saliva? Should they get blood? Should they, is there a urine test? Is there, what's the process all the way to getting a cream that they use that if they came to, let's say you, which would be kind of an example of what they should experience, um, and then go from there. If you if you could just give us a short short view of that, and then I think that will straighten out some of that confusion too, because there has been, enough out there of saliva and then it's good no it's really bad and then it's blood work and well it depends on when you take it and if you're still having periods it's very confusing so if you could straighten out some of that i think the listeners would really benefit oh happy to do it and before i do that just to note with progesterone from spear work 
Um, progesterone now for peri and postmenopausal women, we always use progesterone by mouth. Women take it at night. Hmm. Younger women, we put it on the skin. Yeah. Okay. Um, what What do people experience when they come into a fellowship? Yeah. What's the process? Practice? Correct. What's the kind of the right way based upon science today? Oh. Well, first of all, I guess it depends on whether that practitioner is going to do your physical examination or not. But someone needs to do your physical, either your primary care doctor or the anti-aging doc. So you need to have a physical exam and a good history is taken. When we look at hormones in ways of measuring, you can measure hormones by three methods, blood, urine, and saliva. If the patient's not on hormones, you can measure by blood. I don't personally tend to do that because later on I'm going to measure by saliva and I want to be able to compare apples to apples. When you're looking at cortisol, the stress hormone that we mentioned, the gold standard, the really way to do it with six trials or salivary testing is the best way to measure the stress hormone cortisol even from the beginning. So what I usually recommend is that we do salivary testing initially. It gives us the amount of hormone that is available in the body to use and not the amount that's stored. When we do saliva testing, it also tells us the hormones in our whole body and not just in the blood, and we can get a better balance that way. When you put something on the skin, like the estrogen or testosterone, it goes immediately into the red blood cell, literally in three seconds. So when supplied to the skin, <laughs> you cannot measure it by blood. I got okay? it. Because it's gone. You could stand with it with a syringe right now, and you could measure someone, and you still would not catch it. Huh. So the patients on hormones that are placed on the skin, then serum testing has been shown by David Zava and others not to be accurate. How about urine? Urine testing is very, very accurate to look at the breakdown of the hormones, okay. meaning the metabolization, mm-hmm. how they're broken down, which I'm going to talk about in a second. But for dosing of hormones, you want to use saliva. When you do the urine, you're actually not getting the hormone level. You're getting the metabolite or breakdown product of the hormone. Okay. And when you look at urine, things that are applied on the skin do not show up in urine. So the patient would get overdosed. So we don't dose by urine, but we do want to look at urine for estrogen breakdown because it does matter how estrogen is broken down in the body. And this is true, by the way, for men and women. Sure. Estrogen is broken down into two, four, and 16 hydroxyestrone. The two is the good one. The patient needs a little bit of 16 for bone structure, and we really don't want the patient to have any 4-hydroxyestrogen as the breakdown. The good news is the science is here to actually fix this. And so with the urine test, with the first morning urine, we can, if the breakdown of estrogen is not good or other metabolites, we can fix that. And that's the purpose of a urine test. Excellent. Excellent. Well, see, I think that That's that helps alone. Yeah, yeah, very, very helpful. I think m- many are going to listen to that podcast and stop there and replay that a few times because they might not have experienced that at their doctor's office. Well, so, and the question I would have, again, I think 
where I am age and stage of life is at what point, like how should I be feeling or what is my body maybe doing that would trigger me to say, maybe I want to get that baseline reading, like that first step. And maybe I don't need a replacement right now, but I want to know, I want to be able to start maybe monitoring those changes. Well, for women at any age, it's nice to know how their body works. Mm-hmm. Um, so for women with infertility or PMS, PCOS, perimenopause, menopause, any of those issues, we want to measure where their hormones are. For younger women, we use a 28-day saliva test. So 11 days out of the 28, specimens are done, and it's not a swab. You actually spit into a tube. Not very glamorous, but (laughs) it works very, very well. And uh, we really are able to see the pattern over 28 days in younger women and almost always be able to help fix the problem and the imbalance that may be occurring. Mm, As women age, then we usually don't do a 28-day test. Perimenopausally, we commonly commonly do a six-day test, and that starts on day 16 of their cycle, meaning 16 days after bleeding starts. And then postmenopausally, or if the patient's on hormones, then we do a one-day test. Now, women are very complicated. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> I am so surprised with that comment, Dr. Smith. I've never experienced it before. They're very easy to be around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, well, I could talk to you for yeah, a really yeah, long no time, kidding, but we no also <laughs> want to make sure that we, we don't uh, make these podcasts too long. But, yeah. I mean, so you mentioned earlier you can get your book, What You Must Know About Women's Hormones. You said from any um, like online retailer or bookstore, um, basically wherever books are sold. Is that correct? That, that's correct. And it has over a thousand references in it. So people really can see that the medical literature supports what we're looking at with women and balancing their hormones. Excellent. Fantastic. Dr. Smith, thank you so much for joining us. It's fabulous. And I know we're going to have you back on a few other books. So um, stay tuned. Thanks so much. Have a great day. I'm inspired. I, I, re- I really am. I want a man hormone book. <laughs> you should have asked her about that. I actually. was going to. Well, but I thought, and we, we were already running long, so I'm going, oh. In all God, fairness, I'm pretty it. sure she talked about testosterone, she did, which but is she talked a about women's hormone. testosterone. Well, and, I know, and but... now all men know that they take their testosterone, put it on their chest, and then the women know what. Here's they what feel I like. know: y'all are in such a good mood so much because you have <laughs> testosterone, and we apparently don't have enough, and so I think that is somehow unfair. That's exactly but right. No, that's why I'm always smiling, and I don't know. But, <laughs> so, yeah, I'll just give you some cream. Nice. Yeah. So no, uh, very excel- good, oh, yeah. excellent things yeah, to yeah. think about in the future, yeah. and I'm serious about a trip to Michigan. I mean. Maybe road I believe trip. it. Hey, road trip, road trip. <laughs> we'll do the podcast on road trip. <gasps> yeah, she's, here. she's getting her blood drawn. She's right. spitting in, in a, a cup. tube. I'm peeing in she's a cup. Peeing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We could definitely cover all that. I'm well, sure. Well, I was thinking more like a road trip, hitting all the great pie shops on the way, not me <laughs> actually being. <laughs> By then, your hormones would be a disaster. <laughs> That's right. That's nice. But yep. this is one that I would implore um, anyone who's listening to it to share that with other yes. females. 
um, to have this, know that this podcast is here so that when your time comes, or either, even if you just want to get clarity of where you are today uh, at a very young age, which she highly recommends, I'm just telling you, get on it. Yeah, make sure your children, grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera, depending on your age group, has gotten uh, this put together and then take steps to be able to help your own health. It's, it's so important, and she did such a good job of clarifying your steps just another day trying to help people live their best life. Absolutely. Love it. And Dr. Smith, excellent job. Amy Baker, Dr. Sean Benzinger. Humarian Health Podcast. Spilling our guts. For the well-being of yours. Thanks for having the guts to listen to the Humarian Health Podcast. If you have things you'd like to gut check, send us an email at gutcheck at humarian.com. 